Welcome to Midlife Mastery. This is Brock Edwards, and I have to admit, I've been a little distracted lately. So I haven't been getting episodes out quite as often as I normally do and as I'd prefer, but as some of you know, those of you who uh, follow and interact with me over on Instagram at Midlife Mastery Podcast, I have been getting into go-karts and racing go-karts. I grew up racing motocross, then got into mountain bikes and haven't really competed in years and am really excited to get back into it. And so I've been a little distracted trying to get my own carts sorted out. But uh, coincidentally, my daughter's boyfriend is also getting into karting at the same time. And so we've been spending some time did a 12-hour round trip up into Oklahoma to get a card for him the other weekend and have been trying to get his sorted out as well. And it's all coming together and I'm having a ton of fun with it. And maybe I'll share more about it later on. But if you're interested in that, I don't know that makes a good podcast episode, but I do post some photos over on Instagram. So you you can check that out there. And it's just really trying something new, something I've never done before, learning something new, taking some skills that I already had and adapting them to a new setting, a new situation. So I'm having a ton of fun with it. I hope you're doing similar things in your life as well. Just finding those new challenges to take on. And I think that's so important in midlife just to, to push ourselves, to stretch ourselves just a little bit and to have a lot of fun doing it. Now, today's episode is a little bit different than ones we've had in the past. You know, social media, I just mentioned Instagram, social media can be a fantastic way of sharing and connecting with people around the world. I love it for that. Yet, It can also bring a dark side as we compare ourselves to the perfectly presented lives of others. And I suspect this is especially true as we enter midlife. Shobha Nialani shares why, after publishing a number of fiction books and a biography, she chose to write the book Reboot, Reflect, Revive, Self-Esteem in a Selfie World. And I love that subtitle. And in this episode, we discuss self-esteem imposter syndrome, comparing ourselves to others, being able to accept who we are while still striving to improve, perfectionism, and uh, it surprised me a bit, but it turns out that the real central underlying theme of this episode is self-compassion. Now, I don't know if you've got the past couple of episodes or so, so before we get into self-esteem in a selfie world, I want to just mention, worth checking out, we had Dave Conley on, and he did an episode on focusing on wellness for a great midlife, and just some really practical tips and hacks and approaches to focusing on our health at a time when, one, things we've done in the past start catching up with us, and two, what we do now will really prepare ourselves for, you know, kind of, kind of the second half of life. And then we also had Pursuing Your Dreams in Midlife with James Burbage. And this, although it's only a couple episodes back, is already a top five episode. So definitely resonated with people and and worth checking out. Now, Midlife Mastery has recently been ranked by Listen Notes in the top 10% globally in its category. And we now have listeners in 52 countries. I am so excited about that. And almost all that growth is simply word of mouth. So please continue sharing episodes, telling others about it, and leaving reviews at lovethepodcast.com slash midlifemastery, lovethepodcast.com slash midlifemastery. I wanted to share a recent review left by Next Level Gratitude. And the show, it says, show title is misleading. I'm really enjoying Brock's laid back style. He's an intent listener who then comes back with insightful questions to take the conversation deeper. Not sure we ever actually master midlife or any stage of life. However, this is a podcast that gives you useful tools for getting a good handle on it. 
P.S. was being sarcastic with my review title. Uh, so always appreciate sarcasm. And so next level gratitude. Thank you for leaving that. And now enough prelude here. Are you ready to talk about self-esteem in a selfie world? Well, let's get started. So you've been in Africa, Asia, North America, Europe. You're currently living in Hong Kong. You're a fiction writer, but you also do nonfiction. And you're, you're a mindset coach. And so that's, uh, that covers a lot of ground. How do you introduce yourself to people? What, how do you describe what you do? First of all, thank you, Brock. I'm so excited to be here to share my views on being 50 plus on midlife mastery. I don't think we've mastered it yet, but yes, getting there. And uh, the way I view myself is I introduce myself as an author, yes, because I've been writing for over 25 years, and that's primarily what I have to show for myself with 11 books. Uh, But I've also kind of pivoted. I think that's the kind of the buzzword nowadays. I've been pivoting in different directions, and I call myself a life coach, a mindset coach. And also a ghostwriter, because I had the opportunity to meet a very dynamic CEO, a leader in his field, and so much from him as a leader, as a business person, and dealing with the pandemic. So it's just broadened my horizons. I don't really know how to go forward now, but I'm excited about the future because I'm learning new things. And uh, yeah, excited to share that. Yes, first of all, I'm going to say I'm an author and a life coach. Let's start with that. All right. Excellent. And you have a new book. And so the new new book is titled what? I, oh, I'm going to mess it yeah, up. Yeah. Reboot, here. Reflect, Revive, Self-Esteem in a Selfie World. <laughs> yeah. So I and the, the reason I messed it up is because I focus on the second half of it. I love the self-esteem in a selfie world. Yeah. And so, well, so you're primarily a fiction writer, at least most of your books have been fiction. So why write a book on self-esteem? What What inspired that? A lot of little, little uh, details. I think it's because uh, from the time when I grew up, not much attention was paid on our inner world, like our uh, emotional health or mental health. And a lot of it was following the crowd. Everybody was going into business studies. I was more creative type, but no, I went into business studies. So a lot of I, I just pushed all of those feelings aside uh, where creativity is concerned or who I am as a unique individual. And uh, I just pursued a path that was I was directed towards. So I was a passive follower. The, the idea of self-esteem came about when I started realizing that when I would get negative reviews of my books, they affected me deeply. They kind of made me feel that I was rejecting myself as an individual, rather than looking at my work in a way that is a constructive criticism and I can learn from it. So I was wondering why I was feeling so low about these criticisms or the, you know, it's normal for an author to get good and bad reviews. I got plenty of good reviews, but I was not focusing on the good. I was focusing on the bad. So I decided to delve deeper into the subject of self-esteem. So so actually, I, after writing fiction, I switched to nonfiction. I wrote a biography of a humanitarian, a spiritual leader in our community. And uh, he spoke a lot about understanding oneself, about the way we think, the words we speak, the actions that we do, all come back to writing the story of our life 
And therefore, we have control over our destiny and what we want to do in our life. And therefore, the inner part, the spiritual part, has to be addressed, has to be faced. And uh, if there's any part of us that's a weakness or uh, develops into a negative emotion, all that has to be addressed. So uh, a lot of learning came from that. The seed was planted then when I wrote that one nonfiction book. The second book I wrote that was nonfiction was about a journey of a couple who adopted a baby from India. And it was a memoir. It was, it was just about that unconditional love. They never gave up. So it was that resilience, that motivation that kept them going. And uh, I've, I admired that about them. So I, I just felt that there's, there's so much real life stories, people's stories that show um, courage, that show the ability to overcome obstacles and face life head on and do what they want to do. So I felt that I was I needed to learn from these kind of stories that I've written in such detail. And when you write, rewrite, and then keep rewriting, it sort of goes inside you, you know, in your subconscious. And then you start questioning your own values, your own uh, dreams and desires and why I'm doing what I'm doing. So then when the self-esteem book uh, came about, I said, yes, I'm, I'm just going to do this research. It's going to be a book about why it's important to have healthy self-esteem because when you're you have that unshakable sense of strength within yourself you can face anything in life you can actually step out of your comfort zone you can pursue new goals you can do different things in life and you will not be afraid to fail because a lot of the times we are taught oh failure is bad it's, uh, you'll be humiliated, you'll be embarrassed if you fail or if you make a mistake, but we are imperfect humans. It's okay to fail. So a lot of these issues have, I have addressed in the book as well. Imposter syndrome. I've spoken to many, many people from different fields, from different industries, and they've shared a lot of their journey and how they overcame their issues with self-esteem. You know, I suspect a lot of people can relate to that. And if if you don't mind, I want to read something that you, you recently posted on your blog that I, I just could really relate to. And I, like I say, I suspect many can. And it, it just says, we we're wired from childhood to prove our worth, to be better than the best, to compare and aspire, to believe that we have to be perfect at everything. We enter a virtual battlefield where our self-esteem gets bashed. You're criticized, bullied, manipulated, and hated, not by others, but by our own selves. Life goes on and we live in this anguish of feeling undesirable, unsuccessful, and underappreciated. We go on day after day in a struggle to fight those feelings of worthlessness. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of Thoreau's line about, you know, people living lives of quiet desperation. And mm -hmm. how, do we, how do we get there? Because when we look at kids, no kid feels that way. I've never come across, I mean... Most kids are just happy. They're playing, they're trying things, you know, they fall down, they get up, they go largely unfazed. And yet I, I think a lot of adults get to a point in their life where they look around and don't recognize themselves or, you know, they, they're not who they thought they would be when they were younger and just feel like that they are, you know, I think you described it really, really well there. We're, we're just kind of struggling against ourselves and our, our own feelings about ourselves. And yeah, so how do we end up in that place? It's uh, interesting that you share that. I feel it's a lot to do with our conditioning from childhood, the way we are taught in school, 
that we should get the best grades and then we compare ourselves to others because we didn't get the best grades or we got into the best universities or our parents inadvertently tell us that, oh, that that uh, friend of mine and their child is doing so well in their field of work or they're turning into engineers and doctors and what are you doing? You know, things like that. When you hear that kind of talk from childhood, from your, from when you're being nurtured and from people you look up to, whether it's uh, parents or teachers or mentors, and they tell you that you're not good enough. I mean, a lot of our anxiety, our stress is not even, what lies beneath it is actually not just about good enough or bad enough, but not enough. It's almost like we are striving to be something more than who we are. And I question why that is. And um, it's just because of the world that we live in. Everyone's doing more, being more, and we feel we have to um, live up to that expectation. How do we master it? It's, uh, again, it's a lot of inner work. It's understanding one's own unique qualities. It is facing reality of our own weaknesses, our own strengths, and then saying, okay, I have this weakness. How do I develop it into a strength? So it's, uh, it's, it's a lot to do with our own inner journey. I think what I learned from my um, journey as a writer did not just teach me my skill set, but also my mindset. As I, as I kept writing, I kept understanding myself better. And I, was, and I would write a book and it would be a great achievement. And it would be my fifth book and my sixth book. And I would still not feel that sense of pride that sense of, wow, I've done it. And eighth or ninth book. And people look at me and say, wow, you've written eight, nine books. And I'm thinking to myself, why am I not saying the same thing to myself? Why am I not being a friend to myself and constantly saying, no, you have to get better. You have to do more. You have to achieve more. And what is it that I'm doing more of? Uh, something I love. So why am I not enjoying the process? So that's when it kind of... Um, I think it's a gradual understanding of oneself that it comes about slowly as you as you become aware of the thoughts. The thoughts that you think actually are the place that we need to just become aware. And, oh, I'm thinking this negative thought about myself. I'm starting to say critical things to myself. I'm starting to be hostile. That's when I stop it and say, no, why am I being hostile? Why am I saying bad things to myself? Why do I feel that who I saw on social media is better than me and their life is perfect and mine is not? Why do I feel that way? It could be whatever shown on social media is an illusion. Everybody goes through struggles, but what you final, finally see, the picture, the image of the smiling face holding a trophy may have <laughs> had that, uh, that person may have had a lot of uh, struggles, may have faced a lot of uh, pain getting to where he or she is with that trophy in his, in his or her hand. So, so we have to look at the backstory of people and not just compare ourselves to what we see on social media. Yeah, you know, like I mentioned, I really like the the subtitle there, self-esteem in a selfie world, because 
you know, it, it's been said by others, we see other people's highlight reels. You know, mm-hmm. we just see the, the the best of the best, the, the, the curated, filtered, and edited. And we compare that to, I guess, our kind of our just ourselves, maybe not at our best, or at least, you know, we don't always recognize the best in ourselves. And, you know, I suspect that's always been a challenge. You know, the phrase keeping up with the Joneses has been around forever, you know, just comparing mm-hmm. yourselves to the neighbors and the social media does kind of broaden it, not just from comparing ourselves to the people who live in our neighborhood, but really comparing ourselves to like everyone else on the planet, right? We can, yeah. we can see everyone everywhere doing their best. And, you know, on, on one hand that can be inspiring, but I think for a lot of us, it, it maybe isn't because we get that comparison going from, from your experience, from your research, how, how do we keep that inspiration, but without getting bogged down into the, oh, I should be as good as them comparison? Okay. I, I would start with, it's not about always constantly being positive. Okay. So there are a lot of people out there, oh, you, you've got everything going for you. Why are you sad or what's what's wrong? Or you should be happy. You should be this. You should be that. First of all, we have to address that it's not it's not like that. What we are is what we accept ourselves first as we are. Okay, so we can't be the kind of person like for me, I'm not uh, comfortable in a huge crowd. I can't communicate with lots of people and standing up on stage. So that's one thing I know I cannot do. So, well, that doesn't mean I cannot try and learn how to do it. So when we have certain things that we say, I cannot do this, or I cannot do that. We try and learn how to do it. And when we do it, it lifts our self-esteem. It makes us feel good about ourselves. And we said, yes, we tried something new and we achieved at this. But the point is not trying is the issue. So I think with self-esteem is that we like to stay in our comfort zone. And we like to be in an environment where we know everybody and we want to just be in that little space and just say, yeah, I'm fine here. I don't don't need to step out of that space and face the world with something new that I want to share. But the point is to challenge yourself, to, to test your potential. I feel that that's important to continue learning something new. And I feel that I learn a lot from the younger generation who seem to be, who seem to get over a lot of whatever's going on social media and just say, ah, that's not important. You know, it's not that we know what it's all about and we can get through that. I think we come from an era where we didn't know about social media. We we just learned how to understand it, to navigate it and therefore, you know, into it and wanted that dopamine fix where we got a little bit addicted to the news feeds and the new posts and the likes and the comments. So understanding what's going on within ourselves is the main way to move forward. Like you prepare yourself when you go into a meeting, you prepare yourself when you enter into the world of social media onto networking sites. You just prepare yourself that if you're going to look at posts and that's going to affect you and make you feel bad about yourself and lead to lingering self-doubt, then just be aware of those feelings and why it's happening. And then use it as a way to motivate you to grow and learn and become better, not as a way to spiral and get depressed that you feel a sense of envy or jealousy. So it's a a lot of understanding of 
how we think and how to think differently that we have to work on. Well, I really appreciate the, the, the thought about trying new things and, and pushing your comfort zone because I know one of the things I've experienced, so like, you know, for my kids, the world's always throwing them something new. You know, my, mm-hmm. my daughter's in college, so she's experiencing so many new things that, you know, she maybe doesn't get a choice in. So you mentioned public speaking. Well, as a part of class, you know, you're required to do it. So you have to push yourself there. You have to challenge yourself. But, you know, by the time we reach 50 or so, a lot of us have not only gotten very comfortable in our comfort zones, we put up some, you know, some nice walls around it. Like we built our whole life around those comfort zones and don't really have things that that push us out unless we go consciously do it. So anyway, I just I, I really appreciate that reminder to to challenge ourselves to to take on something new and not get really stuck in that rut. You, you know, you had mentioned imposter syndrome, which I find fascinating because I, when I think of people of the imposter syndrome, I think of people who, from the outside, are very successful people, mm-hmm. but from the inside. Uh, you know, as I understand it, feel kind of like a fake, like a fraud, like they hope no one figures out that they're not really that person. So, you know, from, from your research, from talking to successful people, where does that, imp- where does it come from? So it again comes from a place of not having that confidence and that self-belief, which is conditioned maybe from something that happened in childhood, in school, or, um, for example, Michelle Obama shared in her book on becoming that her, the student counselor said that she's not Princeton material, but she went out and proved herself that she is. But she constantly struggled with imposter syndrome because she felt she doubted herself that is she good enough? Am I good enough? Am I worthy of being in this space? Am I worthy of this attention or this award or this recognition? So we it all stems from, I think, a place where somebody had said something to us and then we internalized that kind of conversation and became a part of our way of thinking. But I read somewhere that the smarter we are, the more we doubt ourselves because the more you know, the more you feel that, is it enough? Should I know more? Should I go deeper into this topic? Should I explore it so that I come across as an expert and nobody will say, oh, uh, you didn't know enough of it, or you're an ignorant fool. You know, you you fear those kind of reactions. So, what it, where it from? What I've uh, learned when I've uh, spoken to quite a number of people is that they have an inner critic. When that inner critic comes up, even though they are successful and doing wonderfully in their lives in every area area of their lives, they constantly feel that that inner critic keeps reminding them that no, not good enough. You need to do more. You need to be better at what you do. Otherwise they'll find out that you really are a fake. You're a fraud or, you you know, you you should work on yourself harder. And the standards of perfection are set so high that if a slight mistake happens, then the inner critic takes over and really beats, beats you down to saying that that's it, you failed, you committed a huge mistake and people are going to find out and that's it, this is over. So setting such high standards of oneself is another issue with imposter syndrome is perfectionism, where everyone thinks they have to be perfect. And if they're imperfect, then they're a failure. That's how they look at themselves. 
It's not about just having that anxiety when you go up on stage and you speak in front of an audience. It's not just that kind of anxiety. It goes far deeper and that anxiety continues off stage and continues in every moment from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. So internally, there's a lot, a lot of strife, a lot of struggle going on, but externally, there's a perfect appearance of success and a smiling face. So a lot of times we don't know what's going on inside a person. And even though they may come across as being, you know, with it and they know how to handle their lives, but people do struggle. They do have moments and how they work around it is quite simply to, to understand that what they, what happened in childhood or the growing up years or what happened in college is not the reality of their lives. The reality of their lives is that they made, they are, they've achieved, they have done a lot of great things. And then it's, uh, it's about having that self-compassion and understanding for oneself. So I guess it's a lot to do with being kind to oneself because if we if we talk to ourselves negatively, we should ask ourselves, would we say these words to a friend? Would we tell anybody else these harsh, negative, critical talk that we dialogue that we have internally? Would we do that with somebody else? No. So let's have that compassion for ourselves and be okay with a little bit of a mistake here and there, it's okay. It's, it's interesting that we grant other people grace and humanness and understand everyone makes mistakes, you're fine. But for ourselves, we, we, we don't always do that so well. We, you know, we don't give ourselves that grace or, or a humanness. I find it interesting that, that you mentioned that you know, the, the intelligent may suffer from imposter syndrome even more, just beyond the... Mm-hmm. They doubt themselves more, um, that they know how much they d- don't know, perhaps. And anyway, I've never never thought about it that way. It, it uh, reminded me of a, a Bertrand Russell quote. You may have heard it. It's one of my favorites where he said, the fundamental cause of the trouble is that in the modern world, the stupid are cocksure while the intelligent are full <laughs> of doubt. Anyway, I I had never thought about that and connected that together. So I I find that very, very interesting. So the people who are more likely to be successful are probably also more likely to suffer imposter syndrome. So all of us are out there wandering around, hoping no one catches us as the frauds that we are. Yeah, I interviewed a microbiologist and she said in her field, especially as scientists and academics, it's it's there's a lot of that imposter Mm. syndrome feeling going around. In, in the universities and in those kinds of fields. So she says it's it's rampant, it is, it's happening. But how do they deal with it is that they don't like to talk about it. They mm. just know they have to become better than this fellow colleague or this other person who's uh, probably doing some research in a specific area. They have to do better and be uh, more, you know, smarter or do more research it just is there's a lot of comparison there's a lot of behavior that comes from like I said again perfectionism that they have to be better and smarter and get to a level of being almost robotic one of the uh, persons I interviewed she said it's almost like we have to be robotic in our methods and not have an emotional feeling or an outburst or a sensation within ourselves that we cannot be afraid we cannot feel nervous, anxiety, we have to keep doing 
this in a robotic fashion and get better and be perfect, which is not possible. We are human. <laughs> so <laughs> you can't do that. You mentioned that you had started writing this, this book just from your own journey. So I'm curious, as you were going through it, what did you learn about yourself? Like, what did you take away from, from it? So to be perfectly honest, the first um, idea when I wanted to write a book and I wrote a book and I was like um, writing a thriller in the in India for the Indian audiences, I was writing about conspiracy theory, suspense, adventure. I was so excited about it. And my ultimate mindset was I want everybody to know about this book and to read it and and to maybe to to get the fame and the popularity and the recognition and be a best selling author so that was my goal that was what i wanted to achieve while writing my books i'm not a best selling author but i'm very happy being a writer <laughs> so that's what i discovered about myself it's the journey it's not the end goal because honestly the royalties don't give you much the the recognition is there but not everybody's going to love what you write so that kind of acceptance um was what helped me understand that i need the courage to face the criticism or the people not liking me and the judgments as much as i enjoy the uh, appreciation and the praise it's not just one thing i'm going to get if i put myself out there or my product or my creative ideas out there in the public space i i should be open and strong enough to face that this is the reality and people are not going to love not everyone's going to love my work and that learning opened myself up to be more resilient motivated to strengthen my inner self because i was faltering i was feeling fragile my my self esteem was constantly taking a hit that oh no i'm not good enough now what's going to happen people are going to laugh at me i'm so embarrassed this one said that you know so so it was a it was a journey for me and i said no i'm not going to stop here i'm going to write my next book and it's going to be better and then i went on and on and on in that space discovering my own understanding myself better discovering my own uh, strengths and weaknesses and then realizing that what i really love is getting into the zone when i'm writing in it's it's a beautiful space that i enjoy and i should value that and it's more about the journey and not the end goal people will like it not like it it's fine but i'm enjoying the process and i'm doing the best i can to make the work the best it can be so that's what i learned in my journey love it and and that's a nice distinction there because you know we were talking about not being perfect but you're also not saying you don't don't give up on making it better you're still striving to to make the worst your bet work your best it sounds like you're just not focused on any perceived negativity and i i know i say perceived because i think a lot of it we just make up about ourselves perhaps yeah. so so not getting stuck in that enjoying where it's at and striving to to make it better um and enjoying the process along the way so that that seems to be a pretty healthy way to approach it Mm-hmm. Well, you have reinvented yourself a, a few times there. I mean, you know, we started focusing on books in, in your 40s, mostly fiction, and now transitioned over into nonfiction. 
And also from there, transitioning into a, a mindset coach and uh, all doing this, you know, kind of at an age in life when a lot of us are told, oh, you're, you know, it's too late. Don't switch, you know, just stay where you are, ride it out <laughs> till retirement. So yeah. So for you kind of, this is, this is too small of a question, but, but what's next as you keep building out, you know, and thinking about your life, what are you excited about what's coming up? Yes. Yeah, so that's, that's the best part, Brooke. I mean, there's so much to be excited about. There's so much to share now that I've develop this experience and understanding of what I have uh, been through that I want to share it with others that they must create awareness of their inner world and what it is that really brings joy. It's not about the reward that's at the end of that journey. It's not the destination like they say that quote is that it's the journey, not the destination. And it's true. And really focus on focusing on that. I'm going to since I have a fear of public speaking, I'm going to <laughs> develop, I'm going to join Toastmasters and I'm going to learn how to be a good speaker. And I am a mindset coach. I am going to join a few of these business networking chapters and develop a larger networking environment, get people more aware about their self-esteem through my coaching services. I'm a ghostwriter and a writing coach. So I will uh, be helping people develop their skills. If they want to be a writer, what kind of mindset do you need? Because you can be a writer. A lot of them give up halfway, but you need a certain kind of a mindset to continue and complete your book. So that's where I'm hoping to help a lot of people become better writers, to become writers, to do what they love to do, achieve their dreams. So as the title of my book says, Reboot, Reflect, Revive. So reboot your thinking style. And that's what I'm going to do. Reflect on what your, of your dreams in the future and revive your goals and get out of your comfort zone. Enjoy life. And do what you love. Honestly, it's about doing what you love because a lot of times we do what everybody else loves. We are there for everybody else and we want to be there for everybody else. Yes, but if your cup of joy is not full, how can you spill out and spread that love all around you? So I say keep learning, keep developing yourself, keep growing. And that's where is my goal in the future. That's what 2022 is holding up for me. <laughs> Excellent. And, and that's a, a fantastic point that, you know, we want to support others and help them in their joy, but that's really hard to do if we're not in our joy ourselves. Mm -hmm. and, and so there is, there's something really powerful about being able to find that space and, and live in that space. And yet it really does, you know, take that, that self-esteem piece, because if we're focused on everything we don't like about ourselves, it's really hard to live in joy, isn't it? That's true. Yeah. So have some compassion for yourself. Be a friend to yourself. If your inner critic starts uh, raising its voice, ask why. Why are you there? It's okay. I understand. I should stay in my comfort zone, but let me go and stand up on stage and face 100 people. It's okay if I fail. I'll be okay with that. I'll come back and learn again. I'll do it again. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like uh, Kristen Neff. She's an expert in self-compassion. She says, we are perfect as people, but our lives are imperfect and that is the shared human experience. So it's okay to be a little imperfect here and there, but just keep learning, keep growing, keep climbing that mountain or go on the trail that you wanted to do, run that marathon, do something with your life that's different than what you're doing now. Well, that seems like a, a, 
great place to wrap up on, on the, those inspiring words. So I, I guess kind of my last question for you here, Shova, is where can people find you? If they want to learn more about your books, if they want to learn more about your mindset coaching, where's the best place to track you down? I think the best place is uh, you can find me on Instagram. You can send me an email, shobanihalani at gmail.com. My books are on Amazon. So um, I'm reachable through the social networking sites on LinkedIn. I'm there on Twitter. So just reach out. All right. Very good. Well, we will link to that in the show notes. And thank you so much for being on today, Shoba. I love hearing about your journey and yeah, just the the whole idea of shifting out um, self-esteem and, you know, being compassionate with ourselves and, you know, the dangers if we don't are, are you know, we, we, we've experienced that. So I don't know, taking that on seems like such a great midlife process of our project of just being able to be compassionate with ourselves. Yes. Yes. So true, Brock. And thank you. It's been wonderful chatting with you. And I love the whole journey of our conversations as well. <laughs> thank you so much.